I like hymn favorite nights, don't y'all? Like being able to pick some songs, the great ones that we all love. Well, it's a joy to be here with you and to open God's Word with you, to be a preacher of God's Word. About an hour or two ago, I was a protector of my son. He woke up and was crying, and I went into his room, and the big dinosaur, Daddy! Still coming out of his sleep, apparently he was having a dream, and so I chased out that big dinosaur out of his room, and the world was okay. And he woke up, so... Protector of my son, preacher of God's word, depends upon the hour. You never know what I might have to, uh, what I might have to do. So turn with me to Romans chapter 1, where we read from just a moment ago, and we'll be back to now. Interesting, this week in the church office, Gail was working, we received a letter in the mail from none other than Pastor John MacArthur. News of our faith has made it through the deserts of West Texas, New Mexico, and Arizona. Made it over the mountains of Eastern California and narrowly escaped the Los Angeles traffic to his office at Grace Community Church. News of our faith. And he was writing to us that he is eager to visit sharing his gift of preaching with us in person and equally benefiting from our faith. Things in LA are getting unruly and worse day by day. Many plans have been made, but he has thus far been prevented from visiting. Now I'm making all this up. He didn't really write to us. (laughs) But imagine the situation to get a taste of the setting of the Roman church gathered and receiving this letter of from Paul and of him telling his eager anticipation. Now, John MacArthur's no apostle, wouldn't claim to be, and isn't a missionary necessarily of the sort of that Paul was, but you get a little taste of the setting of the words that are written here to the Romans from Paul. Last week, we saw the effect of the gospel in Paul's life, that he is a slave, he is an apostle, he has been set apart to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And tonight we're going to see the effect of the gospel on the Romans and Paul's eager anticipation to be with them and experience it. And this is still all in the introduction of the letter. He hasn't even gotten into the meat, into the good stuff. The thrust of these verses, the thrust of this passage tonight is simply Paul can't wait to be with them. He can't wait. Paul, now let's put this into perspective here, because Paul, he's the one steeped in ministry, planting churches. While he is writing this in 58 AD there, he's on his third missionary journey. He's currently in the city of Corinth, and we know what Corinth is known for, right? It's, It's filled with all types of problems. And Paul, he's longing to be with this church that he's never even visited he didn't even plant and yet he can't wait to be there that's the thrust of this passage it would be similar to us as we're anticipating going on a mission trip to a country we don't know to visit people we've never met before to go and encourage a church that we didn't plant that we didn't found that we have very little association with other than our unity through the lord jesus christ 
and our connection through the gospel and the spirit. And so the thrust here is Paul can't wait to be with them. The intent then, if that's the thrust, the intent is that Paul is paving the way for, him, for this church, the Romans, to support him on his continued missionary journey to Spain. Not only is he eager, but this letter here serves as a missionary application of sorts. This is my theology, and I hope that you believe this because I'm coming to you and I'm going to preach this same theology. And if you agree, and if this is the gospel that you want proclaimed around the rest of the world, then send me on with both your financial support and your prayers. And so his intent now is to send this letter to pave the way for him to not only benefit from them, not only to preach the gospel with them, but for them them to send him along on his missionary journey. It's similar to how we run missions uh, around here and other mission organizations as we get their application, see what their theology is, go through the process. Are they a good match? Are they preaching the gospel? Do we want to support them with our prayers and with our finances and resources and send them on to take the gospel to whatever nation God is calling them to? And so there, you see, is the thrust. Paul wants to be with him and his intent. He's paving the way. And so that's, that's the big part of the passage. And so if you came and you're tired, you didn't get your afternoon nap, you can fall asleep now. Now, don't fall asleep. Because we've got to break it down. And I want us to see some of the details here. I want us to, to expose the text and to find four main headings in this great passage of Scripture in the introduction of all things for this letter. Paul's eager to be with them. Why is he eager? Why is he eager? The first main heading is the Romans' renowned faith. Look at verse 8 with me. It says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. If he was Texan, he might say for y'all. Because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. They have a renowned faith. First, he begins with first. And I don't know if you remember reading this or listening as I read, and you're waiting maybe for the second and the third. Well, he doesn't actually get to that. So maybe he just forgot, but most likely it's a, he's, it would be better translated as foremost. That's, this is an issue of priority, not necessarily of progression. And so he didn't just forget to write second and third and all these things. But here's an issue of priority. His first priority, foremost on his mind, is he is thanking God the Father through Jesus. Great theology, right? To the Father, these, this is the basis of all of our prayers, right? We are praying to God the Father who ordains all things through Jesus Christ as our mediator with his stamp of approval, so to speak, uh, taking them to the Father, praying according to his will, taking them to the Father. And so Paul's first and foremost, he is thanking God. We just sang this, didn't we? How God in his great uh, providence, his sovereignty, the song that we just sang, right? Uh, to God be the glory. And the refrain, to the Father through Jesus the Son. What a, there you go. He's thanking God through Jesus for y'all, for them. Why? Because of their world-renowned faith. Apparently, their faith was being talked about in the whole Greco-Roman world. We don't exactly know the details, but whatever it was, as they were popular. They were, their faith was being talked about. It had made its way throughout the Greco-Roman world. There, this, this Roman church is one of faith. Notice it's not about a pastor. Oh, we have heard about you because of this one person. Or we've heard about you because, oh, they have, they're that church with that issue. 
or they, they have this sin in their church, or they, uh, they have this really great pastor, or this really great preacher. It, they're not known for that. They're known for their faith. So Paul is thanking God for their faith, for the faith of people he's never met. For a church he didn't plant. Maybe he knew some of them. Maybe he, they had crossed paths on his travels and his journeys. But he had never been there. He had never been to their fellowship. Yet their reputation of faith has preceded uh, them. They, the, the word has spread. So I think there's some great application for us here. It's a very simple point. But Paul's thanking God. He is eager to be with them for their renowned faith. And as we take a step back now, as we, we seek to apply God's word to us here at this first point, is how would you answer these questions? Listen here and, and answer to yourself here. What is, what is KBC known for? What kind of church are we? How are we known? What is our reputation in Kerrville? What do we want to be known for? If that's something different than what we are known for, if we want to be known for something different, what are we, how are, what are we going to do to change that? Are we known for our faith, our teaching, our gospel focus, our pastor, our evangelism, or is it something else? What would Paul hear about Kerrville Bible Church as he was making his way around Texas? What are you doing to contribute to this reputation? What are we known for? Are we known for our faith or something else? And it's interesting here because as we continue through this great passage, their renowned faith, the Romans' renowned faith, elicits the second main heading, Paul's gospel prayers, verses 9 and 10. The Romans' renowned faith elicits Paul's gospel prayer. And look at, his, look at the, this description of his prayer life in verses 9 and 10. He, who does he pray to? He prays to God. God is Paul's witness, the one who knows all his prayers and hears each word that he utters. It is not also, it is God who's Paul's witness as to his prayers, but it is also God who Paul serves. He's already told us he's his slave. But notice the language here. Look, for God, verse 9 here, for God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of my son, of his son, rather, is my witness. God is his witness, and it is God who Paul serves. Lest we think that Paul is just going through the motions in his prayers, lest we think that Paul, that Paul is just giving lip service and he's just doing his prayers out of tradition or duty or anything, is that, no, Paul serves at its very core. He serves in his spirit. His will is submitted to the master whom he is possessed by. So much so that the preaching of the gospel of Jesus is an act of his spirit, not just his body. He doesn't get up and and preach. He doesn't just go and pray as just something that he does, going through physical motions, uttering words. But this is to his very spirit. The call on Paul's life here has possessed his entire being. And their faith has elicited these great prayers. How does he pray? He prays unceasingly. 
How does verse 9 end? Is my witness has to all unceasingly I make mention of you. To pray unceasingly is always. He's regularly praying. He's repeatedly praying. He's consistently praying. He's constantly making mention of them. Praying for these people. Note that he's never visited. And yet his request then, verse 10, the request of his prayers is to visit the Romans, isn't it? Always in my prayers, making requests. Okay, he's praying all the time, all the time. What is he praying for? Consistently, repeatedly, persistently, constantly, consistently asking that if perhaps, at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. He longs to be with them. We told you that's the thrust of this whole passage. And notice how he wants to be there. He wants to visit the Romans, and he continually asks God. Notice how much Paul believes in the sovereignty of God here. <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting language. Look how the, ES, or the NASB uh, 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 writes it for us. If perhaps, now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed. Paul recognizes that it's up, to, it's up to God's sovereignty if he makes it at all or not. It's up to God if and when Paul has success in anything, let alone making it to Rome. Our God controls all things. He knows all things. He orders all things, commands all things, dominates all things, governs all things, manages all things, regulates all things, rules all things, directs all things. God calls the shots. God's in the saddle. He runs the show, and he holds the reins in all things. Amen? Amen, right, Jeff? Amen. Amen. God is sovereign, and that's our God, and Paul knows it. Paul was a Reformed theologian before there was anything to reform. He was a Calvinist 1,500 years before Calvin was even born. This isn't a prayer of doubt or apathy or lack of faith. It's not a wishy-washy prayer. He's consistently asking these things. He's not asking timidly, but rather he's trusting and as faith-filled as can be in the sovereign God. Paul's steeped in ministry already, and yet he has this anticipation to go, and he's pleading with God to make it happen that he would have success, that God would answer his prayer. And in that, he's recognizing that, God, this is according to your will, whether or not I go or I stay where I am at, or I go somewhere completely different. Your prayers... Mimic this. Does your life reflect that God is the one who calls the shots? Their renowned faith is what elicits these gospel prayers. And does God answer his prayer? That's a good question. Does God answer his prayer? Does, he, does Paul ever make it to Rome here? Well, yes, he does. But 20 years later, and in chains as a prisoner. Look at Acts 28 when, uh, and on your own at some point. But that's, he finally does make it. But about 20 years later, God finally answers his prayer according to his will. And finally, Paul makes it to Rome in circumstances that I'm sure he did not uh, anticipate. But in application to this, ask yourself this. How do I pray? Do I pray unceasingly or haphazardly? Do you pray constantly or hardly ever? Do you pray trusting in God's sovereignty or wishing for my self-interests? 
Does the gospel, does gospel progress motivate your prayers? Does the preaching of the gospel, does the expanding of the gospel, the building up of the church, does that motivate your prayers? Or does selfish progress motivate your prayers? God, I want this. Give me this. Or is it, God, if perhaps, somehow, by your will, advancement of your church and for your glory, May I have this? Do you pray for your kids, your grandkids, and their spouse? Do you pray for their future spouse? Those of us with young children, are you praying for their future spouse? Are you praying for people? Are you praying expectantly? Are you praying unceasingly? Are you praying trusting in God's sovereignty? Asking for their salvation? Asking for their, their family? Asking for their life to come? Do you pray for your spouse? How do you pray for your spouse? Do you pray for your business? Do you pray for your co-workers? How do you pray for them? Trusting in God's sovereignty? Every so often? Haphazardly? Are you praying with faith? Are you praying with doubt? Take stock of how you pray tonight. Verse 11, Paul continues on. The Romans' renowned faith elicits Paul's gospel prayers. And our third point tonight is the Romans' reciprocal encouragement. Furthermore, Paul, he can't wait to be with them to experience their encouragement, to experience their gifts, to be benefited by these Roman believers. And so look at verse 11 here, and you'll see Paul's heart all over this verse. His eagerness is through the roof. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. Why? Why, why, is, what, why does he so long to be with them? So he can bless them with his gift of preaching. He wants to go to be with them too. That will, he wants to strengthen them in the faith. He wants to build up their foundation in the truth. He wants to establish them for the storm. He wants to plant them deep in sound doctrine. He wants to come and use his gifts. He's eager to use his gifts. He's eager to preach the gospel. We know that this is already not just something that he's been assigned to, but this is a very act of his will that he serves God in his spirit through the preaching of the gospel. And he is eager to go to the Romans to use that gift. Notice his, he, is, he recognizes his indebtedness to the, to the Lord, to other people. He recognizes his possession by God, that he is a slave of God, and he is eager to go and use this gift that he has been given for the master's interests. Why? To establish them. Notice that they might be, that they might be strengthened, that they might be planted deep in sound doctrine. He wants to go and... and, and and, and build their foundation. But equally true to this, Paul's longing to go to use his gift. But lest we think that's the only reason that he has this his own, his own self-interest to go and, and use his gifts, don't miss this, brothers and sisters. Don't miss this. He, look at verse 12 here, because he longs for their reciprocal encouragement. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you, while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul wants to, in turn, be blessed by their gifts. 
realize where we're at. This is the great apostle Paul, the super spiritual, profound theologian. The man that he was, the apostle set apart by God, here he is eagerly anticipating the fellowship of believers. A church he's never been to. And yet he's longing to be with them. If the faith that he has heard that has preceded them, their renowned faith is true, he wants a part of that. He wants a piece of that. You might think, well, what, what could Paul possibly get from them? He's super spiritual. He's the profound theologian. Well, we aren't actually told what their gifts are other than that they have great faith and that he is eager to be blessed by them. This is a great lesson that we need each other, all of us equally, for encouragement in the faith. Remember now that Paul is writing this from Corinth, right? He's writing this from Corinth, and we know what the Corinthians are known for. They're known for their corruption and their immorality as a society and within their church. And that's what, that's what the Corinthians are known of, and that's what Paul is in the midst of. That's, he's sorting out all of those messes. He's trying to teach people just basic relationship stuff. No, you don't, really, you don't associate with this person. No, you don't sue believers. No, you don't. No, don't do this. And he's just steeped in all this corruption and immorality. And here, the, on the flip side now, he's hearing these reports of the Romans' great faith. And so, of course, Paul desires a reprieve from the immorality and wants to go. And he needs some encouragement. He wants to be amongst faith-filled people of course he wants to to be amongst them i I think uh, of this of of a picture here he wants he paul is encouraged by believers who know the truth who love the truth are steeped in the truth and who are living according to the truth you know and i think the application here is that this one this one really hits home for us here in, and even in our church, this body here of us gathered at Kerrville Bible Church, those of us gathered here tonight and those that make up this, this body of here, that we need one another. We, need, we, need, we benefit from one another. The gifts that God has given you, preached on this this summer, but the gifts that God has given you, He's given you for the benefit of other people, for particularly for the building up of this church. And so we need one another. And, and get this, this even includes your elders, your shepherds, your pastors. It's a two-way street. It's a two-way street. We long to benefit from your faith just as much as you do ours. Your elder needs your care and concern for their soul just as much as you do from his. They... they they're, they're regular men with issues, struggles, pains, just like you and I. I know they pray for you. When was the last time that you prayed for your elder? I know he does his best to care for you. When was the last time that you thought to care for him and his family? If you have felt neglected, remember, it's a two-way street. Reach out, and I know that he'll respond. Paul's anticipating benefiting from these believers and he, and he benefiting them. And the same is true here for us. All of us need one another. 
But the principle here is, is big for us, that this goes both ways. We long to benefit from your faith. We long to hear the stories of, of how you are growing in the faith and to share and to be encouraged by your gifts that God has given you. So don't be shy with them. Don't feel inferior with them. Use them for the benefit and the blessing of other people, not necessarily just your own benefit. But Paul is longing to be with them. Paul, is, he desires their reciprocal encouragement, this two-way street of believers being together, sharpening one another, using their gifts for one another. And there, the Romans' reciprocal faith leads us to our fourth point. Paul takes it a step further here in verse 13. Their reciprocal encouragement reminds Paul of his gospel debt. Paul's gospel debt that has been placed on his life. In verse 13 here, Paul is again very personal in this, op- in this introduction here. And he tells us that he's been thwarted in ex- thus far in experiencing this encouragement. He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brother, unless you think that I've neglected you or I haven't desired to be among you. Because they've, you know, could you imagine reading through at this point and saying, okay, yeah, Paul, we get it. You want to be with us. We want, we want you to come to us. We see that you want to come to us. But now, why haven't you? You know, this letter's made it here. Why haven't you made it here? You know, why, you've been traveling around for years and years now. Why haven't you made it out all the way to us? And so he's saying, I, I, want, I don't want you to be unaware. I want you to know that I've tried. I've tried and made many plans to do so. But thus far, I've been thwarted in experiencing this. I've, I've been prevented from coming to you. See Acts 20 for the background on that if you want. He's planned to go, but he's been prevented from doing so. And what's kept him away? That's the question. Well, what's, what's kept him away? In chapter 15, he gives us a little bit of a, a little insight on that. Again, uh, let's turn over to uh, Romans 15 just for a minute. At the end of the letter, he provides some insight here. Flip to the end second to the last chapter, 16 and all. But Romans 15, we'll pick it up in uh, verse 20. Romans 15, 20, and he says, And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. As it is written, They who had no news of him shall see and they who have not heard shall understand. For this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you. Why has he been prevented? Urgent gospel business. <laughs> Why is he prevented? Not because he's been lazy, not because he missed the train, or he, well, I guess they didn't have trains, not because he missed the camel uh, ride, or not because he missed the boat, but he's been busy preaching the gospel where other people have never heard the gospel. So we might give, cut him some slack for not getting there. God has had other business as a missionary to the Gentiles. Amongst people who've never heard this gospel, we see that he's been kept from coming to them. But he still wants to be there. He still wants to go. He's eager. He's anticipating being with other these believers and experiencing their faith. 
where the gospel has already been preached, where a foundation has already been laid, and he wants to come and establish them there. But notice here, he doesn't just want to be with them for personal benefit, but he also wants to, just as he's gone to preach the gospel in other nations where they've never heard before, he also wants to see some gospel progress even among them. Look here at the end of verse 13 with me. So that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. And so we see that he's coming. Yes, he has some personal interest and some personal benefit. He wants to go for some reprieve from these other nations to come and be encouraged by them. But even more than that, he wants to come. He's been prevented because he wants to come even there for gospel progress. He anticipates much fruit from his efforts, just like he's seen among other Gentile cities. Here, the gospel is ripe for harvest. The fruit of the gospel is ready to be picked. It's low-hanging, easy to grab, the low-hanging fruit. And he's eager to be there for this, for this ripe harvest. And now in verse 14, as he continues on, there's a link here. Uh, to this because Paul uses now some interesting language he's saying I want to go to to obtain some fruit and now he explains a little bit he is under obligation literally that he's a debtor this would be used someone of who owes money or is bound by duty to somebody else this is slave type language we already know that he's a slave to God but to whom here is he under obligation to Is he under obligation to God in this instance? Not in this instance here. Who's he under obligation to? Both to Greeks and to barbarians. Both to the wise and the foolish. All of us fit into this category. This encompasses everybody. Covers all people here. To the Greeks, it's pretty self-explanatory. Greek-speaking Gentiles. He is under obligation to to these Greeks to those that would speak Greek-speaking Gentiles, and then to the barbarians, the rough crowd. Now, this is really, this is a word. It's an onomatopoeia. You're like, oh, an onomatopoeia, what? An onomatopoeia. It's a, a word that uh, you speak it like it sounds, like buzz. Buzz is an onomatopoeia because buzzing, make, they make a bzz, bzz, bzz. It's an onomatopoeia. And so in these days, barbarian, this, this was just an onomatopoeia for bar, 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 bar. It's similar to how we would say, you know, when we, just as a filler word, we'll say blah, 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 you know, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, they would say bar, 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 bar. And it really, it just, it meant people who did not speak the Greek language or were from a foreign uh, country that had a funny accent. You know, when Wisconsinites come down to Texas, we come with a little bit of a Scandinavian funny accent. And you think, you say y'all really funny, you know? And so you speak, we speak Texan just maybe a little bit differently. And so we might be considered barbarians, the rough crowd, trying to speak Texan with a little bit of an accent. And so this covers everybody, you know, in Paul's mind. This is, it's basic, what he's meaning here is, well, the Greeks and then everybody else by barbarian. And so we can't, we have to be careful not just to think, you know, in movies and all that that we see, you know, guys in loincloths and paint and primitive weapons and stuff, and they're the barbarians. And granted, there were some people like that, but Paul's meaning here is, is everybody else. You have the Greeks and then the ones that speak Greek funny. 
Because to a Greek person's mind, that's everybody. You either speak Greek or you speak it funny. You either speak Texan or you don't. You know, you speak it funny. And then, but he continues on. He says, the wise, the educated, and to the foolish or the uneducated. And this covers everybody that Paul is under obligation now. He's under obligation for the gospel to all people. He's indebted to all men, bound by a duty. Paul owes the world the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul is indebted to all men, Greeks and funny-speaking Greeks, to educated and uneducated, all people. Paul owes the world the truth that we are all corrupt, ugly, depraved, sinful, twisted, warped people, unable to please God, unable to be reconciled in this relationship with holy God, creator, judge of the universe. And yet he's provided Jesus He's provided the mediator. He's provided the rescue. Paul says, I am indebted to all people with this good news. Me, the foremost of sinners, me, the ugliest of all, has been entrusted with this, has been given the good news. And I owe this to the rest of the world. I am under obligation. I am bound by duty. I am indebted to take this message to all men, to any who will listen. Whether they're Greek, barbarian, wise, or foolish, Paul would preach to anybody who would listen. And this is really the mark of a good preacher. Someone who can preach to adults and can preach to children, can preach to uh, college professors, and can preach to uh, high school dropouts. This is a mark. If you can explain the gospel, someone who can put it into words is, is, is a mark of a very, very gifted preacher, the ability to speak to anybody. I pray that we would be able to do that as well. That we would be able to preach the gospel, speak it to anybody who would listen. And this is what Paul is under obligation to. And he concludes then with, in verse 15, So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This is his gift. It's just a great concluding statement. Why is he under obligation? Why is he eager? Why is he anticipating? Why does he long to be there? What is his gift to preach the gospel to anybody and everybody who's in Rome? And it's a cultural center, so all of these people would be gathered here. Educated, uneducated, Greeks and, and, and barbarians would all be gathered here. Jews, everybody would be gathered in Rome. And Paul is eager to go there, knowing that the fruit is ripe for the harvest. So an application to this fourth point of Paul's gospel debt. Do you feel a sense of obligation with the gospel? Do you recognize the treasure that you possess? Do you know that you hold the cure to all the world's problems that could solve the ISIS ordeal, that could fix the immigration chaos, that could cease all abortions, that could mend the rift in your broken relationships, that could unify your falling apart family? But most importantly, the truth of the gospel fixes the ultimate problem that every person born to this earth has, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of language, regardless of their nationality. The gospel primarily reconciles us with holy God. 
Once that is fixed, then we have common ground and a sole authority in the Bible that brings us together and fixes all problems. Beloved, you and I owe the world. We are obligated to the world with this truth. Proclaim it every chance you get. To withhold this truth from the perishing is the most horrible crime that we can commit. Be eager with the gospel. Let it find its way into every conversation, into every relationship. Learn to turn conversations with this. You and I, beloved, have been given this great treasure. We owe it to the world. To withhold it. It's horrendous. We want people to be able to stand here and sing a song like Oceans and recognize the truth of it. The gospel is the only thing that keeps us afloat. Christ has come and rescued us out of our drowning. He's taken us from the bottom of the water and enables us to keep our eyes and brings us to shore. Brothers and sisters, we... We are under obligation in a similar sense. Do you recognize that? Do you feel that? Do you feel the weight of that? Closing, Paul had great anticipation to be with the Romans. All centered in the gospel of God's great son, Jesus Christ. So let's be believers likewise with gospel anticipation. Let's long to be together. Let's long to be known for our faith. Let's long to pray gospel-centered prayers. Let's long to encourage one another mutually, back and forth, reciprocally, benefiting one another. Let's take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Let's take it to the end of our block, to the end of our hallway. Let's join together. Let's be together. Let's anticipate being together, centered around the gospel, like Paul, longing to be with these Romans. So we've gathered now to edify. We've gathered to worship. We've gathered to be encouraged, to be exhorted by God's word. So let's scatter to evangelize. Let's leave to witness. Let's head out to tell the world about this great news of God's great Son, Jesus Christ. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for your word. Thankful for how it encourages us, how it teaches us, how it gives us a model for our life. I pray that we would live under its authority. We would be confident in it, we'd be convicted by it, that we would be convinced of it. Thank you for the gospel that fixes all things, that rights all wrongs. And we look forward to the day when you will ultimately make all things right, when your church will be taken away, when you know, your son will return again. We long for that day. And so we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.